This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com. Uh, Welcome back to the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast live from the Cobble Group Studios here in Nashville, Tennessee. Today, we're going to be diving into how you can become the bank. I'm here with Will Coleman and Brandon Thornberry from Urban Gate Capital, a couple of buddies of mine I've known for years. Brandon's actually a partner of mine in the Peerless Mill deal, if y'all are familiar with that, if you've been following for a little bit. And Will and I have known each other since, gosh, what, 2016, 2017? Yeah, I think the first time we met, you came and spoke at a real estate investors event that I was throwing and I was back when you were working on uh, financing. Yeah. Right? It feels like forever ago. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. Gosh, it was. I mean, it was, that was the first time I met both you and Mike Tiravella. Really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, it's been a little while. Well, guys, I know that's a, a very brief introduction to yourselves, but Brandon, why don't you kick it off and just kind of tell us a little bit about you know your background and how you wound up here. Yeah. Thanks for having us, man. This is fun. Love the studio. Looks great. Uh, so yeah, I'm Brandon Thornberry. I live here in Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I started out in real estate in the single family space and uh, in rentals and flips. And uh, nowadays I mostly invest in multifamily and commercial and uh, and partner with this guy, Will Coleman. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I, I started working in a bank right out of college as an underwriter and was slowly building up a portfolio of single family houses and then got a job to work uh, with Jake and Gino over at Rand in, in Knoxville, Tennessee. I, I ran their debt brokerage for a couple of years. Um, so I've always kind of been a debt nerd and for some reason I've always loved lending. Um, and uh, as I was working at that debt brokerage, obviously trying to buy my own multifamily, and I, I re- met Brandon and he was telling me what he was doing with private lending. And I was kind of looking for an out at that the company I was with in Knoxville and he told me what he was doing. And I was like, man, if, if we partnered up and raised capital, could we build a business out of this? And yeah. He said yes. And we, we went for it and it was about three years ago and, uh, we've yeah built a pretty incredible business in the last three years. And then I've, I've acquired a, a handful of small multifamily as well, which uh, Brandon is a partner on too. So it's, it's been a journey. It's been fun. Yeah, so so to give a little more background, because uh, they're being a little humble, in the last three years, they've funded over 100 transactions. Yeah, more than that now, it's probably over, to like then? 300, yeah. Well, gosh, we need to update your website. <laughs> right. That was like a year and a half ago. Yeah, the, the website is out of date. Well, the, the $21 million is way out of date. Too. Yeah, yeah for sure. Now. I don't know the number, but uh, it's probably closer to like 30. Um, yeah, 300 loans. Um, I, I don't even know. I mean, we're, we're probably right. ballpark of that, yeah. That's great. You guys are you guys are staying active and busy. I mean, it's it's a great time in the market for hard money, right? Because yes, you know you're you're looking at how high interest rates are for the traditional loan, what their issues are with you know even trying to get buyers to qualify for loans at the moment. Mm-hmm. And hard money, while it is a little bit more expensive, is that much more attractive because you guys can move so much faster. That's yeah. Right. So will you kind of talk about what hard money is and how how y'all operate? Sure. I, I think I always love when Brandon tells the origin of how we got started. So uh, I, I think you'd be the best person to start. Like what attracted you to, to this business? Yeah. So I, we, I started out doing this just as a side hustle, you know, so I had money on the sidelines. I was kind of, I'd always be in between kind of larger deals 
I didn't want to tie up that capital. I wanted it to be relatively liquid, but also wanted to earn a good return. Right. And so I just started doing this, just loaning out money on deals. And it became very apparent that I had more deals than I did dollars. So it's a good problem to have. Yeah. <laughs> more deals than dollars is always great. So um, that, you know, screams opportunity, right? Always. So I started partnering with just individual investors to fund deals. And that's about the time that I met Will. And so I was just doing this as a, like a little baby business on the side. And, and Will was able to come in and turn it into like a legit business. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the nice thing about hard money lending. Like if you want to be an investor on that side, right, it's a good alternative to commercial real estate investing or real estate investing. They're typically shorter term deals, yeah. right? I mean, what would you say the average length of, of loan you're giving is? Like when, when do people typically pay it back? Yeah, four to six months. Uh, yeah, That's right. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so you're getting that quick turnaround, getting some return on your cash. And uh, man, I would imagine it's a little bit better than leaving it in the bank. That's <laughs> absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So we'll pick up the origin story from there. So so you guys get together and then you came on and, and you know, tell us about the machine that you've built. Yeah, I, I did want to answer your question of like, what is hard money lending? Yeah. Um, which it's, um, it, it, it's mostly what we do is lending for people who are fixing and flipping houses. So someone is buying a house, renovating and selling it. So like you can get a loan from a bank, but they're going to take 30 days to close and they may be at like 70% of the purchase price, maybe a little bit more. So um, hard money lending is the concept of Rather than getting a loan from a bank, you can get a loan from a private individual or a private company that is not a bank. So like we're a lender, but we're not a bank. We raise all our own capital. We don't have to take people's deposits. So we, we raise money from investors, we pay them return, and then we lend that money to people who are in need of a short-term loan on real estate. Usually it's fix and flip, um, but there's a lot of unique situations that hard money can be of use. In fact, you know, your listeners probably know Peerless Mill. So we we, uh, we were able to help on that project just because you had a bank lined up. Last minute, they backed out. And you needed someone who could close this transaction within 30 days or something. And so we were able to come in, close quickly, and then you refinanced us out after four or five months. So there's a lot of unique situations that hard money can be useful for. Whereas like a bank would need 60, 90 days to underwrite that transaction. We're able to move much closer. And Brandon was a partner on the deal, so he knew it, you know, intimately as well. So, um, I think it helps to to talk about what hard money is, and then the, the origin story is is just that um, I always wanted to grow a business, and Brandon kind of had the product, and I was like, well, let me build the systems around it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, in, in the beginning, we were partnering with individual investors, so we'd have like two hundred thousand dollar loan. We would get a two hundred thousand dollar investor to fund that that project, and I've uh, just learned by failing forward of building systems. You know, we use Asana for operations, we use Google Drive for all our documents, and it's been incredible. I mean, uh, yeah. Now we've built a little team. Yeah, you know, we yeah. have uh, an account manager. We have a, a main underwriter on the team. So starting to grow and looking to bring on a salesperson. So yeah, it's starting to really roll it's it's really nice when your business venture starts to actually become a business and Imagine, has yeah. a day-to-day -day job yeah right like last year was the first year since i founded the brokerage in 2018 where i didn't have to broker a single deal 
mm. because I had the team that was lined up to do everything. So I'm out here, you know, doing the podcast, doing the YouTube channel, generating, you know, an overwhelming majority of the leads and then they're servicing them. Mm-hmm. And so it's, uh, it's nice because you can step away. You don't have to worry about, you know, when are you going to get that next deal, get it closed. You've got other people that are helping you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just recently was in the Dominican Republic and I kind of gave the keys to the business to uh, our loan officer. His name's Jonathan. Shout out to Jonathan. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I just kind of was like, hey, for this week, I'm out of town. I think you were out of town as well. Yep. And we're like, you know, you've got the systems, you've got the training. Um, you can run the business for the next week. And he killed it. I mean, he stepped up big time. So it is cool. I remember just kind of, you know, not that I ever really stopped working, but just being on a beach, being like, you know, that the business is still operating. Yeah. I like that. I was um, thinking also kind of back to why I started doing this as a side hustle. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was I was do, I was flipping homes, and I had single family rentals, but I was really wanting to transition more into commercial and multifamily. And the flipping of houses, um, while it's super lucrative, it takes up such a um, such a huge amount of time. It takes it's a up, lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's also like just mentally, it takes up so much mental space. And so um, I was like, you know, I have to eliminate something from my life if I'm going to grow bigger and and flipping homes was like i need to i need to be done with this so lending out money was a good transition where i could still get a good return and some some income but not have such a drain and also you can do it from anywhere right you know like flipping homes you kind of got to be in that market and and be watching what's going on but even if you've got a great team you do yeah you got to be on top of that yeah, I saw your, your uh, was it an Instagram post here this past week where you sold your first flip? I sold my first rental property that I bought 17 years ago. I sold a couple weeks ago. So that was a little bittersweet because <laughs> I, I uh, thanks. I remember uh, renovating that house like by myself, uh, just, you know, sitting on the floor and just pulling up carpet staples for hours, getting ready to sand the floors and absolutely loved it. But, um, yeah, it's just funny to think back of like what you, what things you did when you started yeah, and, and then you just don't kind of what you grow into. Yeah. But it's good to have those experiences and kind of learn what it takes to renovate something. Well, I was, I was having that conversation with a buddy of mine this past week. Cause I just, I just did the built-ins in my closet, built them myself. And he, he does the same thing, right? He, he loves to do his own house improvements. And he was like, it makes you really appreciate how much people charge for that. Doesn't it? Yeah, because yeah. like it, it probably cost me fifteen hundred dollars to do a full custom set of built-ins. That would have probably cost six or eight thousand dollars if I hired somebody else to do right. it. And I'm sitting there going, "Yeah, if I was going to do this for somebody else, I would have to at mm-hmm. least charge six or eight thousand dollars." I think I've tiled one shower, oh, <laughs> and that was the, that. I hate tile work. Yeah, I will always hire, hire a tile guy. Like. That's co- that's complicated, it's and brutal, if you mess man. one up, yeah, it's the it's worst. Mess up everything you end up in the corners, like kind of like this. Yeah. yeah, it's just like this is my last house. Oh, yeah. I, I found it ends up costing me more if I try and do it myself. So I I've, I learned very early I'm not the handy guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> as much as I would love to be, I'm not the guy. Well, that's smart. Hey, understand your strength. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So so let's talk about the fun structure. I mean, you guys decided. Instead of just kind of continuing to do one-offs, you were like, let's just go raise a fund. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for those that aren't familiar with how funds work, I mean, obviously you can do a debt fund, 
You can do a deal by deal fund. You can do a fund that is for as many deals as you can buy with the cash that you raised. Talk to us about why you decided to do a fund and kind of how you set that up and structured it. Yeah. So the main reason of why we wanted to do a fund is like, if, if, a, if someone came to us with a $300,000 loan request and they said, okay, do you have the money? We go, we think so. <laughs> right. <laughs> so then we'd have to go to our investors and go, okay, who wants to fund this deal? And it's really challenging when, uh, you know, hard money deals need to close very quickly. So if someone needed to close in five days, I mean, so many weekends, someone, you know, a, a borrower, I'm sure you can guess probably what I'm thinking, would call me Friday afternoon. We need to close on Tuesday. Oh, God. And I'm like, you know, okay. <laughs> and and by the way, Will has always found the money. Always. <laughs> yeah. I can't think of a deal we have not funded. So for you, always it's a lot of late night phone calls. Yeah, it's yeah. it's one of those. I'm always like, I have no idea where this is going to come from. And then it just happens. But so I, I you know, genuinely, I have to put a presentation together over the weekend. Sunday morning, I'm texting all my investors. And then by Monday, I'm like, all right, we can do it. Whereas uh, if you raise a fund, you can raise all the capital and have it in a pool. Uh, and then the, the borrower can call you and we can go, hey, okay, we've got 700K in the fund. We can close this deal as soon as you need to go. We're still in a situation now we have like 3.3, 3.5 million in the fund. So we're still in a position where most of the time, all of that is lent out. So if someone comes to us with capital and it's all lent out, we still have to raise from individual investors. Mm -hmm. We still have more deals than dollars. Yeah, we still have more deals <laughs> than dollars. Yeah. Um, but it it like it at least most of the time we have capital in the fund. Like we we had a two hundred and seventy seven thousand dollar loan request today that we have capital for and as soon as we got it approved, which Brandon just said he liked it, um, I haven't had a chance to look at it yet. But as soon as it's approved, we can go we have the capital, we're ready to go. Um, so that, that's really the why. I know there's a second question in there. I, I can't remember what it was, but I'm trying to think. I don't even remember. <laughs> that's why did the, you, you said, why did you go out and raise a, start a debt fund, but I can't remember. Maybe how we structured it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. How you yeah. structured it. Yeah. Okay. Um, so what, what is interesting about uh, our debt fund is it's really just an evergreen equity fund. So it's, it's structured the exact same way that you would do an equity fund. Um, we just call it a debt fund because we use it for debt, but it's, right. it's a 506C accredited investor only evergreen debt fund, which means that there's no term to it. It, it, it goes as long as we would want it to do to be. Um, and there's really no cap to it. Like we could raise 20 million, 50 million. Um, we just, we set certain caps based on our, our demand. And uh, yeah, it's 506C accredited investors only, um, 100K minimum. And uh, yeah, it's it's a beast to get set up, but it's way better than trying to raise per deal. <laughs> oh yeah, no kidding. Yeah. I mean, it's it's all. I mean, you're just trading off when you're doing the work, right? It's all on the front end, yes. as opposed to you know doing it right before you close it on a deal. Yeah. So you know, if if uh, if I'm an investor in the fund, is there like a minimum amount of time that my capital has to be with you before I can cash out? Because I mean, the nice thing about an evergreen fund is investors can kind of come and go as mm -hmm. they as they need. Whereas, you know, typically in a, in a regular fund, like you're locked in. Yeah. In five years, you're right. stuck. Yeah, it's, it's a great question. That's one of the main benefits of this product for the investor is you can invest into it. And then within a certain time period, you can get your capital back. So every hard money lender does it a little bit differently. We structure it where there's a six-month hold. So we like our investors to leave the capital in the fund for at least six months. That's because our loan terms are at least six months or are at most six months. 
And then after the six months, you can withdraw your capital with a 90-day notice. Um, there's some withdrawal penalties within the first two years, but after two years, there's no penalties um, and a 90 days notice. So if if you've got capital and you're interested in investing, uh, let us know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, hey, let's let's talk about what that would look like. I mean, if I if I wanted to give you guys $100,000, you know, what, uh, I mean, obviously the nice thing about debt, mm -hmm. right, is that you're secure by the property. Right. Exactly. You know, first, your first position. First lien position. Yeah, yeah, so so let's talk about the security mm -hmm. of of the investment, and then kind of what the returns might look like. Yeah, so I'll I'll, I'll throw it to Brandon just in terms of like being first lien, and then also like our underwriting process. So mm -hmm. yeah, but, uh, the val you know valuing properties and things like that. Yeah, I think there's a lot of money raisers out there that they like to go straight to return on capital, but I think you should start with return of capital. Yep. So how are you going to get this money back? How is it protected? And that's what we really like about this, because like you said, we're, it's always first lien position loans. Um, we're always very conservative on our deals. So there's a lot of deals we turn down, you know, so we're not just slinging money out there. Uh, we're very conservative on our underwriting. We're always asking the question, like, if we had to take this back, could we throw it on the market with no work, get our principal back and pay all their interest in points? You know, could we do that? So that's a question we're always asking. So we're looking at comps and what what we could unload things for. And if it doesn't pass that test, then we're we're probably not, you know, we're not doing that deal. So smart. Yeah. So you gotta be conservative, right? We feel like it's a very um good risk adjusted return. You know, so we pay ten percent return on on capital, monthly distributions. Uh we've never missed a monthly distribution uh, so far. And we haven't foreclosed on a property yet. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. So um, good thing is uh, we have the systems in place. If we had to foreclose on a deal, um, you can foreclose on a property in like 60 days. Right. Crazy. Pretty quick. You know, uh, we don't want to do that, but we have, you know, an attorney on retainer that if we have to go that route, we know how to do it and we can execute on that. And then since it is in our backyard, you know, if we had to go and renovate that deal, we have the experience in the team to do that. So uh, we could renovate a house and get it sold if we needed to. That's good, you've so got multiple backup there's, plans. There's lots of backup yeah. plans for these deals. I don't ever wanna say that um, returns are guaranteed. In fact, we can't say that legally. Right. <laughs> so um, yeah, but it, we feel like it's a very, very safe uh, investment. So just to put it in perspective, how conservative uh, and safe their underwriting <laughs> practices are. I am foreclosing on a deal uh, that I went hard money on by myself. What a nice lesson there. And as soon as I called Will, because I was like, <laughs> hey man, I think I'm going to need some hard money to, to finish the rest of this out. I'm going to own this house in cash, but I'm going to need a construction loan. He's like, oh yeah, what's the address? I give him the address and he goes, oh yeah, um, you should have called me before you lent <laughs> this guy money. He's on our no, do not win list. We still have it, then not on our list. <laughs> We'd like, have, oh yeah. man, that would have been nice to. Uh, sh yep, should have thought about that. But I mean, that's the thing. Like, that's the, that's that. I I talk about this all the time. It's funny. I made my own mistake that I advise everybody against. Mm -hmm. It's like if you have never done something before, partner with somebody that has done it before, mm -hmm. and learn from them. Like at least for the first deal or two deals or three deals, whatever it is. You know, if if you don't know how to do a hotel, partner with a guy that does. Right. Yeah. Like that's how I yeah. learned my first development project, and here we are. Like. I, I was supposed to foreclose on December 15th. 
He filed for bankruptcy and sent and intentionally gave the wrong address to for almost every creditor. So oh only God. one creditor actually got notice of the bankruptcy petition. Uh, we all ended up showing up to the meeting of the creditors. Of course, when you know, if you're not familiar with this, I know I talked a little bit about it in my office hours live stream this week. But uh, if you're foreclosing on a house and uh, the person that you are foreclosing on files bankruptcy, everything gets frozen. Yeah. So we couldn't, we could, we like technically foreclosed on it because we didn't know mm-hmm. and went to close it out. And they're like, oh, this is frozen. This is yeah. in a bankruptcy. Yeah, so I, I, I always have questions about that. So I know it delays everything, but will you still be able to get the house? Uh, so I should be able to. We're talking with the trustee right now, okay? Because uh, that was part of the the meeting of the creditors' calls. Like this shouldn't even be on here. I'm I'm in first and second position on this property, and you know I'm the only lien holder. Um, you know I would like to request a continuance to finalize the foreclosure. Mm-hmm. And typically they'll grant that. There's some instances where they wouldn't. But the thing is, y'all know how much I'm into this house for. I paid three hundred. I'm basically in it for three hundred, three fifteen. It's worth 260. So, you know, what a bankruptcy trustee will try and do is say, oh, okay, we could sell this property, pay off the note, and make more money to pay back other creditors. Mm. But he's going to look at this and go, oh, there's no way anybody's going to bid more than Tyler is. Mm. So, we'll just give it to Tyler. Yeah. So, you know, fingers crossed. That's how it works out. We'll be able to finalize the foreclosure and get this over with, and yeah. and I'll be able to do a house flip. Uh, yeah, it's not exactly what I was planning on doing. Well, but when you're doing hard money, you got to be yeah. prepared for these things. Yeah. Well, the good news is it's in a great location. Yeah. But I, it it makes me think like any deals that we've had that have gotten even like a little bit squirrely, it's always been an operator issue. Yep. It's hundred percent. It's never been. <laughs> well, I can think of one deal that yeah, was it's always tough to see. Was, <laughs> was a property deal. I can think of one where it was, where it was, but that operator is excellent and they're fixing it. So, um, any deal that we've had that's been squirrely for the most part has been an operator issue. And so I like to say, uh, good properties, great people. Yep. And so that is really the, the deal breaker is really working with great operators. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the shark tank method. Right. Like, yeah. sure. Yeah. You're investing in the company, but you're really investing in the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who are the yeah. people that are going to pull this together? Yeah. We've got a question from Anthony saying, where do they lend? How much experience do they require? And what are the minimum FICO and reserves? Good questions. Yeah. So uh, we're in all of Tennessee. Uh, I, I I don't know if Anthony's in Tennessee. We, we, we would explore deals outside of Tennessee, but really the closer to Tennessee, the better. And r- right now we're really only in Tennessee. Um, I, I don't see the question anymore, but the, we don't have a minimum FICO. So for me, I, I, I just love to see a history of made payments. So like if you have a 500 credit score, but I can see on your credit, you've made all your payments. That's fine with me. Uh, in terms of reserves, I, I, we like to make sure that you have at least enough funds to do the project and then like 20% more. So if, if the renovation budget, like if you're down payment, whatever amount of capital you're going to have to bring to do the down payment, the renovation, we obviously want to make sure you have enough for that. And then like 20% on top of that. Um, Can you give us an example of what that would look like if it's a hundred thousand dollar house and $50,000 of renovations? Yeah. So a hundred thousand dollar house, $50,000 renovation. So your total cost is 150. Every deal is a little bit different for our loan terms, but for us, the ideal scenario is we'll fund a hundred percent of the purchase price. And we ask you to bring the remainder of the renovation fund. So 
every deal is unique and, and every borrower is unique. So in that deal, what we would try and do is fund 100% of the purchase and have the borrower bring 50000 for the renovations. So we would get, the first time we work with someone, we would get their credit and we would ask for verified liquidity. So if you have 40K in the bank, it's just not a smart decision for us to make if if that's the terms of the loan. We're like, hey, you don't have enough to fund the reno. Um, but I, I would at least like to see in that example about seventy thousand. Um, so like fifty k for the renovation and twenty k on top of that. That might be a little tight just because most flippers have more than one project going on. So right. um, we it, it's kind of the question of like we just want to make sure you have enough reserves to do the project and mm-hmm. pay for whatever other expenses yes. you have going on. We have had one at least one deal where someone ran out of money yeah right and uh it ended up working out okay and the deal sold but it definitely was stressful yeah what happens in a case like that like if if the you know the person you're winning money to runs out of money on the project i mean are you looking at them going you need to go find some more money from another partner are you saying hey we'll give you some more money, but it's going to be expensive. I mean, how does that look? We've done both of those things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think the, the, the lesson we've learned is that um, we would prefer for the borrowers to put some type of down payment. So in that 150000 we prefer for them to put a down payment down and have us included in funding the renovation. Um, I think that protects our loan a little bit more. So like- right. Have them put twenty k down, and then we'll fund. So our, our loan is eighty thousand. They put twenty k down, and then we will fund twenty k of the renovation. So their their out of pocket is the same, but what that does is it keeps us a little bit more involved in the renovation process. And if they run out of money, I think route one is like push them to go find money elsewhere. Go find a, a partner to invest in the deal. Go find borrow money from your parents. Like go sell something. Like that's kind of the first push. The second push would be, okay, we can we can increase our loan amount by 10, 15K. Um, but yeah, we've had to do that twice. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not bad out of 300 deals. Yeah. Typically, we're in such a good position that we're not risking our capital. Yeah. Right? So just trying typically to help somebody out and get the get the deal done. We're there are some hard money lenders that are kind of predatory. Oh, no kidding. You know, yeah. they're really kind of almost hoping that they can foreclose and take this property back. I know a few of them here in Nashville. <laughs> that is not our model. Um, but on any of those deals where that happened, if we would have foreclosed, we would have probably yeah. done really well. And, yeah. and no. both the two deals we we uh, had to do that on, where we had to increase our loan amount, we told the borrowers not to do the deal. <laughs> on both, Really? We yeah. called them and said, hey, our loan's in a good position. Like, we're not worried about our loan. We're worried about you not making money. And both of them said, I think you're wrong. I'm going to do it. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, a, less, little, a little less confident. Lessons learned um, on both sides. Yeah. Yeah. That's sure. funny. Yeah. Uh, Anthony's saying he is in Georgia. So, okay. Yeah. Anthony, maybe, maybe worth uh, going over to, is it, is it urbangatecapital.com? UrbanGateCapital.com, there's a button that says borrow. You can fill that form out or my email is will at UrbanGateCapital.com. Um, yeah, ha- happy to look at a deal in Georgia. We've, we've certainly done some in Georgia. Uh, the closer to the, the Tennessee border, the better. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll consider Georgia for sure. Let's, let's talk about commercial real estate. 
and hard money lending because you know obviously we, we mentioned peerless and and this is a commercial real estate show um but i like to give you know alternative investment ideas right because there are a lot of people that are putting money into hard money right now mm-hmm. and i and i think it's very smart and uh as soon as i get out of this uh this flip i'm gonna have to do i'm probably gonna be giving y'all some capital nice. uh that way i don't have to even think about doing this on my own again but what is the what does the landscape look like for for hard money in commercial real estate so you know, from from a borrower's perspective, it's usually a lot tougher, right? Because they're much bigger dollar amounts, right? Instead of talking about hundred thousand dollars, we're talking about like two million. Mm-hmm. Um, but like when it comes to peerless, it was a lifesaver, mm-hmm. right? Because we would have had to have gone back and negotiated with the seller to extend the contract a little bit longer. Yeah, they were not happy about that. They didn't want to deal with it, and it wasn't a very sophisticated seller. So they they were thinking, oh, well, I'll just sell this to anybody else. Well, mm-hmm. it's a very complicated property. It doesn't really work like that. And it came in and bridged that gap until we got our permanent financing. So, you know, how how would a borrower in commercial real estate or how should a borrower in commercial real estate approach hard money? Hmm. I'm thinking about some of the deals that I've done where I've had to, one in particular, where I've had to go that route. Um, so I was buying... I bought a 96 unit uh, about a year ago, and I thought for sure one of my local lenders was going to do the loan. In fact, they had indicated that they would, and that was right about where really the bottom was falling out as far as lending. Mm -hmm. And so every 30 days, they were kind of telling me something different. Like, it started out at like, we'll give you 80% LTC, and then it was, well we'll give you 70% LTC. And then all of a sudden they're like, we can do like 60% LTC. Oh gosh. Stuff. You know, and it's a slam dunk, slam dunk deal. That was just a bank, right? Yeah, it was just a bank. And one that I'd worked with a lot, right? So um, I ended up going to Lima One, which is basically like a bigger version of what we're doing. And really a company that we're modeling after that we want to grow to be a size of. Smart. You know, so- I had to pay up for that loan. I paid um, nine point. My interest rate is nine point two, so it's expensive. But you know, it was a screaming deal. Mm-hmm. You know, we have uh, average rents when I bought that were six thirty six per unit. We're now renting at fourteen hundred. Whoa! So just crazy. So what right? you're saying is you're covering your new insurance costs. <laughs> <laughs> my insurance has gone down. It's crazy. Is it really? Yeah. It went down from 40,000 a year to 30. So we need to do a master class on that. Is everybody else's growing <laughs> like right that happened. Um, but, uh, yeah, so there are situations, especially where we are right now, where you need to go out and get alternative financing to capitalize on deals like that, you know? Yeah. So that was unfortunately probably a little bigger deal size than we could do, but that's really where we want to head is we want to be able to do starting out with small multifamily and commercial deals and grow into larger deals for sure. Yeah. yeah. What would you add to that? Anything? I mean, I I personally, I, it might, I might be biased, but I, I feel like uh, at that stage, it's almost called private lending right? rather than mm-hmm. hard lending. But like, I think private lending is going to grow and I think bank lending is going to shrink over the next 10, 20 years. It, I might be biased and being hopeful, but I personally think private lending will be more and more common in the commercial real estate space. And just in that example, and as, as banks become more deposit deprived 
and as banks pull back on their lending, more money is going to be put into private lending, uh, especially because it's a it's a relatively healthy return. So for example, big investors may take their capital out of banks and invest it with private lenders. So banks will have less to lend and private lenders will have more to lend. Um, so I still think most of lending will be done by banks, but um, I think private lending will become more and more common um, in commercial real estate and in multifamily. And uh, yeah, we're just, we're trying to be a part of that. Well, I think there's a lot of merit to that because one, you know, if I'm, if I'm a wealthy investor or if I'm just, you know, I've got $50,000 in the bank, they're giving me a quarter of a percent, right? A yeah. half a percent a year. I get no benefits out of it. You know, they're always a pain to deal with overdraft fees. I mean, there, there's just a lot of reasons to not like banks. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if a, if a private debt fund is almost as liquid, right? And I could just drop the money in there, but now I'm making 10% mm-hmm. on my money. I mean, we're talking a thousand X plus than you're getting at some banks. Why would you consider leaving it in a, in a traditional bank? And, you know, the other thing is too, from, from an investor's perspective, banks are really tough to deal with. Yeah. And they're not getting any easier. And, and, you know, that's an industry that needs to be overhauled. Yeah. In my opinion, I mean, it's like, yeah, office kind of deserved what came to it because it hasn't evolved since the eighties. It's time for it to change. And it just, you know, got a kick. But, you know, banking, it's like, I mean, we had Peerless, right, where the bank left us at the altar. Right. And I had another deal uh, the year before where a bank backed out the week before closing. They'd already gone through committee. They'd already approved everything. Mm-hmm. Everything was lined up yep. to go. And they just said, yeah, actually, we don't want to do this deal anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was a bank that I'd done plenty of business with. That's and they just cool. walked away. And, you know, I look at that, I'm like, it, it's not worth bothering with this anymore, you know, you can always refinance into a different type of debt, right? You can always go with life insurance or something like that that's going to give you a more stable, you know, income. But, you know, it's tough. Uh, You know, I could see traditional banks working on refis, Mm -hmm. but on acquisitions, I think you almost start taking a different approach. Yeah, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah, I think think speed is critical. And um, I think the the people we're interacting with at banks are the salespeople, right? And then they have to take it and get it approved. And so sometimes those salespeople are going to tell you what you he- want to hear, right. get it into their pipeline. And then when it makes up the food chain, they're like, yeah, we can't do this. So I've seen yeah. that too many times and it's super frustrating. Well, it's, it's funny, like you get a completely opposite sentiment from hard money lenders, which I actually appreciate, <laughs> right? Because like the traditional lenders... The, the way, if you're not familiar with how banking works, you've got basically a sales rep, your lender, who then packages up your deal and presents it to a committee of typically old white men <laughs> that have never heard your name before, have no idea who you are. And this guy has to convince this board to sure. give you money. Sure. And so they're all fired up about the deal. There's no way that this isn't going to go through. We're going to do it. And, you know, it doesn't get done. Yeah. Right. Whereas hard money is, is, is typically like, yeah, we could. We could probably do this. We'll, we'll see. We'll figure it out. You know, and, and I'm like, okay, cool. Let's figure it out. I actually like appreciate that a lot more because a little more transparent. Yeah, it's just yeah. more real. I yeah. guess. Yeah. I was thinking about that 96 unit I bought, and I was talking with another bank around that time, and there was an article that came out, something on Wall Street Journal about how Nashville's rents had declined by one percent, and he read that article. And then just we're done. No, 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 we're not. We're not doing this deal. And 
not even in Nash. The deal wasn't even in Nashville. And 1% Nashville equates to $18 in rent. And it's in the A-class rentals. My property was not A-class. It was not in Nashville. And um, I would I could show him in that market what I was getting in rents. And it's just it's just crazy. It's the, frustrating. The funny thing to me is that that's, that is one stat out of a bunch <laughs> of stats that you have to look at to determine what the market is. Yeah. It could have gone down 1% because 10,000 units were delivered. Well, that was which, true. And also we had seen, we had seen a 30% rent growth. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's like, we can, we can be okay if it dials back 1%. It's fine. $18. Yeah. It's not that big um, of a deal. Yeah. So anyways, it's, it's yeah. interesting. And it's, if, if you look at the incentive structure of a bank, like their cost of capital is nothing. So they have no incentive to deploy the capital. Like obviously right. they, they need to make money and they need to pay their expenses. But the, you know, the, the level of pressure and need that a private lender has to deploy their capital, because they have to provide a return, um, is, is significantly higher. Like obviously they need to be diligent and do a good job, but that's probably why they're much easier to work with is because the bank is saying, how do we never, ever, ever, ever lose money? Uh, whereas a private lender is like, how do we provide a risk-adjusted return at a reasonable speed? Um, so I, I think the incentives are much more aligned for the borrower. Um, obviously, the private lender has to balance deploying capital and not taking too much risk, which I'm sure a lot of private lenders are doing that. So that's that's the fine line that lender the private lenders have to walk, but the banks have to walk the line of how do we take zero risk? Exactly. <laughs> Um, I, I am curious what you think, like, obviously commercial is in a much more difficult environment, specifically office. Um, like, do you think private lending, or I guess if, if, if a, an, a commercial property that's struggling, that they either need to refire or they need to sell and someone needs to come buy it. And like, what terms would be attractive to a borrower from a private lender for a commercial deal? I mean, Kind of take that question wherever you, wherever you feel is necessary. Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on exactly what you're trying to do with the property. Yeah. Because there's a few different ways that I could take it. But if somebody could offer, and I've thought this for the longest time, if somebody could offer terms in commercial that are similar to how multifamily is done, mm -hmm. I think they would, you'd have more deals in dollars, right? <laughs> nice. So- you know, like if you look at multifamily deals, right, you basically get five years interest only, mm -hmm. right? So you're not paying down the principal. And that makes your cash flow just far better, which yeah. means that you can take that cash and put it back into the property. You don't have to bring as much on the front end, which means I can actually start to juice my returns in a different way. And then that gives me five years of rent increases, value, et cetera, to then sell the property, pay it off, and move on. Mm hmm so, you know, to me as an investor, like if I didn't have to pay any principal, I would probably keep a 10% or 12% note for five years mm -hmm. because I don't have to worry about the massive monthly payments that, that I could have. Yeah. Um, and so, I mean, that's one way for you to just say, hey, we're going to go raise $5 million. We're going to leave it parked for five years at 12% or whatever it is. What if it was a two-year term? I mean, two years would be great, yeah. right? Because two years will get you through the majority of your value. Right. I mean, if it's uh, if it's ground up development, totally different. Right. And I know you guys probably aren't going to be lending on that anytime soon because that's a totally different beast. And, you know, uh, 
it's it's brutal even from the developer's perspective um, to be doing development. But you know, I think if it's a value add deal, like um, you know, I mean, Peerless, right? I mean, man, can you imagine what it would have been like if our permanent loan was interest only mm-hmm. for yeah. the first five years, yeah, for the first two years, right? Right. And we knew going into that, okay, we've got to refinance it, or we're gonna have to pay you guys a loan extension fee and do it for another two years, whatever that ends up being. But it just gives you a lot more breathing room. And at that point, you know, the interest rate doesn't matter as much. Mm-hmm. And so I've always thought, like, if if I was going to get into debt, that's kind of how I would try and do it. What was your term with Lima One? Is it five years? I've got three years. Three years. Three years. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Which three years gives you a lot of comfort. Yeah. Right. Because then you know, okay, I can definitely get it stabilized and then seasoned. Mm-hmm. Right. Because two years is tough. If you're trying to stabilize and season in two years, you better knock it out of the park in that first 12 months. Yeah. You know, which is which is just tough sometimes. I mean, you can't really predict how things go. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you'll also have, got extension options. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, sometimes you'll have, you know, um, this this space where you're like, this is perfect. It's moving ready. You know, anybody's going to want this and it'll just sit there. And you've got another space that might be a thousand square feet bigger that's, you know, completely demoed out. And you're like, nobody's going to want this. And that's the one they come and take. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. don't know why that worked or why that happened, but it does. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's just tough to predict. We've got a, a question from Matthew saying, thanks uh, thanks for all the great content, Tyler. Amazing. Absolutely, Matthew. Glad you're liking it. Uh, I've got a vacant commercial space I'm looking at, formerly an Arby's, currently dark. They are locked into the lease through 2027, but the issue is the bank may not be willing to lend due to the fact that Arby's is only locked in for three more years. It's pretty. That's actually a pretty common problem mm-hmm. in uh, single-tenant lease deals. So the question is, how risky would it be to go with hard money knowing I have time to find a quality tenant? I think that's going to be a question for Tyler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kick it back to me. Um, so I would say... You know, it probably wouldn't be the worst thing to close on the property with hard money if, I mean, the nice thing about these QSRs, right, fast food deals, they're typically located in strong corridors with a lot of traffic, which means that you're probably going to have a line of tenants that want to lease that from you. Um, you know, I would I would start the conversation with Arby's and see if you can get your hands on their financials. Sometimes in the lease, uh, they have to report their financials to the landlord. And so the landlord could give those over to you. If they're performing at or above the average uh, store sales for an Arby's, then I would say chances are really good they're going to renew. Even if they say it's three years out, we cannot even remotely handle this right now because we've got, you know, I don't know how many locations they have, but it's probably over a thousand or at least over 500. Um, You could, you know, take the bet that they're probably going to renew. But always have a backup plan where you're talking to triple net or single tenant at least uh, brokers that are representing other brands that might want to take that. Uh, and you probably want to do that anyway, because then you'll have a little more pressure on the Arby's to sign the lease rate that you're really going to want. Yeah. So, you know, in that case, I wouldn't say, you know, do a hard money note for three years while you're trying to figure it out. Unless, of course, you could find one that's interest only for three years. Hmm. Uh, but you could acquire it in hard money. And refinance. What I have seen is that lenders are typically more willing to refinance on riskier, seemingly riskier deals like that than they are to acquire it. I don't know why that is the way that it is, but it just kind of is par for the course. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What 
what cap rate would you guess this Arby's is uh Oh man. Selling for. So that's the funny thing to me about about these maybe, deals. Maybe Matthew would know and he would tell us. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Matthew, if you know the cap rate, let us know. I'd be I'd be curious to see what it is. That's the funny thing with these deals, because to me, you know, sometimes they're still going for like a seven percent cap rate. That's right. That's why I asked, because the problem I see with this deal is let's say they're offering it at a seven or an eight cap. If you got get hard money, you're probably gonna be paying twelve or thirteen. Right. That's gonna be a tough deal. I don't know how you're going to make that work. Yeah, you're going to have to come up with like 50%. And then you're going to have to say to yourself, I feel really confident that if that Arby's leaves, I'm going to be able to increase the rent enough. So those would be my first questions on that is, you know, what's the the cap rate they're trying to sell it it at? Um, Maybe there's an opportunity, you know, maybe, uh, maybe rents are low, but... My guess is that if there's an Arby's type building up for sale, that it's probably at a cap rate that is not going to make sense for hard money. Yeah, I mean, Phil Phil Fletcher on my team represents all of our triple net investors, and and he's got a group that specifically buys deals like that. They want the deals that are sub five years. And he said it's an eight cap. Okay, so eight cap. He uh, so he th- this group specifically goes after deals that have you know three years or less remaining on the term, uh, because they. They want to look at it and say, okay, well, we can buy it at a seven or eight cap, mm-hmm. but it's under market by 20 or 30%. Right. That's so then we're going to, you know, really, but they come in with a lot of cash, mm-hmm. right? Like that's the thing is it's a riskier play. So you've got to come in with heavier cash. So it's not typically a good play if, you know, you're just getting started. Right. This is like a, yep. you know, I've got enough money to just pay for the whole property cash and take the risk if I really wanted to yeah. kind of deal. And, and, and the problem is like at an eight cap, it's in my opinion, and I could be completely wrong. It's not remotely worth an eight cap because you're not really buying the income that's coming off of that lease if it's going to end in three years. Yep. You know, you're 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 really going to be paying a price per square foot. So whatever the market rate per square foot for that kind of deal in the area is, plus a little bit of a bonus for whatever you're going to collect over 36 months. But you know, a lot of brokers try and just throw a cap rate on there and sell it for a lot. That's more. right. Yeah. Those types of deals, I'm always looking for like, is there a missed opportunity? Is there an out parcel that is included? Is there, I doubt with an Arby's there is. Right. But Probably too small. Some of these um, maybe more rural parcels that have a Dollar General or something like that on it, there might be land that comes with it that you could do something with, you know, looking for something that maybe somebody else has missed. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there's a there's a reason there's typically a lot of upside to those opportunities, right? It's it's a little bit riskier, but you know if you can find a way to to tap into that upside, they can be pretty lucrative deals. Absolutely, I like them a lot. Yeah, awesome guys. Well, what's uh, I mean, just out of curiosity, what's the craziest deal you guys have lent money on? I mean, it sounds like y'all are really good, and you haven't had to foreclose on anybody, and you don't have anything you know wild happening. But can we share one that? Or I don't know if we can share on here. Um, just don't include names <laughs> and, and addresses. <laughs> uh, one that I said, let's make sure that it's not this. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah, I think so. You want to share? You want me to? You can share. Yeah. Do you? Well, now you. Do, now do you okay about that sharing on here? Yeah. I mean, it's. I think it will end up good. So yeah. Sorry, y'all. I know uh, we had a little bit of a delay there. The internet in our office building completely went out in the middle of that live stream. 
right at the point where they were about to tell you uh, what was going on with that property. And it was <laughs> it was quite the dramatic cliffhanger. But turns out uh, one of the walls on a property that they had lent money on ended up falling out of the building during construction. And the city did not allow them to just build the wall back. They had to actually tear down the house and completely redo it. So didn't want to leave you guys on a cliffhanger with that one. Uh, appreciate you all joining us for uh, today's interview. Uh, you can find more on Urban Gate Capital at urbangatecapital.com. Shout out to Brandon and Will for joining me in the studio today. We'll see you guys next time. This episode of the Commercial Real Estate Investor Podcast is brought to you by CRE Launch Pro. This online commercial real estate program is designed to take you from beginner to pro commercial real estate investor with access to all of my courses, our online community, and monthly group coaching calls. Learn how to confidently buy your first commercial property today at www.crelaunchpro.com.